Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast for the entire water treatment industry, where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I got you that time, didn't I? That was a different way to start the show, and I'm going to talk about why that's a little bit different in a few moments. But I am so excited about today's show. This is a viewer requested show. The only thing we're going to talk about is one thing and one thing only, and that is phosphates. I have received so many questions to the Scaling Up mailbag asking to explain phosphate. So folks, I'm going to do the best job that I can to crystallize what phosphate is We're going to talk about different testing methods and some things that I have done to prove or disprove some things that you have heard in the water treatment industry. But before we start, I want to be sure that you all out there in the Scaling Up Nation are prepared for what is coming up. What are the current events coming up? Of course, we have the Association of Water Technologies Annual Convention. That's going to be September 26th through 29th in Orlando, Florida. Folks, I'm going to be there. I am going to be speaking at uh, a couple of events there. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about that on an upcoming show. I am also going to be broadcasting there. So if you are a fan, if you are a member of the Scaling Up Nation, and I know there are a lot of you out there because you let me know, and I love that. We're actually going to talk a little bit about that in a second. Please come up to me, and if you want to be on the air, I can make that happen. We're going to talk about a meetup that we're going to do at the end of the show. I want the people in the Scaling Up Nation to be energized and pumped up and charged and ready to learn and just assimilate all that information that's out there. So stay tuned for that. Another thing we have coming up is Industrial Water Week. And that is courtesy of friend of show, super fan, James McDonald. And he has made an official holiday for us water treatment folk. And it is October 1st through 5th. We're going to be doing some special things on Scaling Up on each and every one of those days. And of course, each and every one of those days celebrates a different part in the water treatment industry. Now, I started the show a little bit differently, and I did that because the show is evolving. Folks, when I started this show April of last year, I thought I knew what the format was, but you know what? You told me what you wanted, and the format has changed to adopt to that, and it will continue to change. I'm willing to bet two years from now, the show is going to be totally different than what it is now. And the only way I can do that, the only way I can fulfill what you want this show to be is for you to let me know that. One of the new things that we have is if you go to scalinguph2o.com, you will see there is a send voicemail icon on the right side of the screen, and you can record your message to me, and I might even play it on the air. So that's exactly what Rick did. Rick left a voicemail on the website letting us know how much he appreciates scaling up. Hi, Trace. This is Rick. Thank you for the opportunity to give you something back. And I really appreciate uh, the podcast. Love scaling up and all you've done for AWT. 
the Scaling Up podcast has helped me by improving my game. Uh, you, you brought to light some bad habits that I didn't even realize that I've had just by challenging me on the simple questions of here and why. That simple question of why something happens. Uh, why is that iron reading out of, out of contact? Uh, why is the last time your calcium higher than the most previous time when you have a softener as a pre-treat? Those are just little simple things as opposed to just red blues and sitting on the report and saying it out. I mean, you've given me a, a, a relationship advantage by being able to communicate more effectively to my customers, as well as a defensive advantage over my competitors. Truly, it's you want to be the best in your industry. Uh, you want to keep those people out who are just here to make a buck because you really want to uh, improve your customer's process as well as your, your own corporate visibility. So with that, uh, you know, again, thank you. Keep up the great work. Keep on bringing the excellent guests, learning a lot from them. Again, episode nine is the best. Absolutely love it. Would love uh, a couple of Legionella chill pills myself. Thank you so much. Hope you get a chance to meet you in person one day. Take care. Rick, thank you so much for that voicemail. That is just awesome. I love it when I hear people in the Scaling Up Nation say that this show means something to them. Thank you so much for that voicemail. It's my hope that we get more of those here at Scaling Up Headquarters. Folks, of course, another thing that we are doing new that we didn't do when we started out is we have some affiliate marketers, one of the ones that I love so much because I use them each and every day. I use them coming into the office this very day. Of course, that's Audible. Audible is the way I read my books because I'm a water treater just like you and I am in my car all the time. So in order for me to be able to read, in order for me to keep up with all the guests that I have on the show, it's the only way that I can do that. And of course, you can get a free month and a free book to Audible by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash Audible. That is an affiliate link, and that helps me pay a couple of bills here. So I definitely appreciate that, and I know you're going to appreciate the service. Well, Nation, as I said at the top of the show, this is a show you asked for and you're about to get it. I've received so many questions on phosphates. I thought, Trace, let's go ahead and do an entire show on phosphates. So what I've done, I've collected all of your questions. I've even collected some questions off of some blogs and some listservs to try to answer those. Before we do that, I want everybody to go on this journey with us, so I want to explain what phosphate is. And I'm going to use phosphate in the cooling context. So it has many applications, but I think everybody can wrap around the cooling context. So imagine you were, you had some sort of cooling system, like a cooling tower, and you wanted to protect that from corrosion and scaling. So depending on what type of phosphate that you use, you can do those things. So we're gonna get into that in a second, but I wanna talk about one, what the different types of phosphates are. So I'm gonna to try to do this over the air. This is a very visual thing. If you've ever taken a class with me, I draw out a very easy chart to see, but we're gonna to try to do this on a podcast. So the most basic form of phosphate is orthophosphate. 
And folks, really the only test out there, the only true test in my opinion for phosphate is orthophosphate. So I'm gonna mention the other phosphates, but it's important for you to realize that in order to really test for those, in my opinion, and that's all that is, is my opinion, you have to change all the other ones that I'm getting ready to mention back to the ortho form. With that said, here are our phosphates. So we have orthophosphate and we have polyphosphate. Now those two phosphates are considered inorganic phosphates. I'm gonna go a little bit further. If you add those two phosphates together, you get what we call total inorganic phosphate. So far, so good, right? So let's add another one to the party. Now we have organic phosphate. So if you add organic phosphate to the total inorganic phosphate, you get what's called total phosphate. So how about that? So you've got five different types of phosphates, if you look at it, but only really three different species. So ortho and poly, which make up total inorganic phosphate, and then ortho, poly, and organic, which make up total phosphate. So what's the difference between inorganic and organic phosphate? Well, it has to do with your water conditions, and you're gonna pick a particular phosphate depending on what your water wants to do. Now, I am an LSI fan, and that's what I've grown up with, that's what my father taught me. So an LSI of six or more is a representation that your water has a non-scaling tendency. Notice I did not say it had a corrosive tendency because nation, all waters out there are corrosive. Now, some are a little bit more aggressive than others, but water against anything, given enough time, water will win. It has one job and that's to corrode things. So if we have a non-scaling tendency water, we are going to use most likely an inorganic phosphate to allow us to inhibit some of that corrosion. Now, if we have a scaling tendency water and on the LSI scale, that would be below six, we would use an organic phosphate. Now, these are not interchangeable. There are certain things that you need in order for these phosphates to work. An example is you need carbonate alkalinity in order for an organic program to work properly. And in order to have carbon and alkalinity, you must have a pH of 8.3. And I know Scaling Up Nation that 8.3 sounds familiar, and that is also the endpoint of phenol failing. And if you put a drop in your sample and it turns red, you have carbon and alkalinity and your organic phosphate will work for that. You're gonna get spotty protection if you do not have carbonate alkalinity. Now, as far as the inorganic products, if you start putting the inorganic products in a high pH, say where carbonate alkalinity is present, you're gonna have some issues possibly with scaling, depending on how much calcium you have in your water, definitely how much alkalinity. Of course, those two things are the building blocks of scale. 
and you put phosphate in there and it could be disastrous. So it is imperative that you treat for the water that you are treating for. So if you don't know what's in your water and you do know what type of phosphate is in your product, you owe it to yourself, you owe it to your customer to figure out why this product is the best choice for that. And if you don't know any of that information, go ahead and make a commitment that you are gonna find this information out because folks, you're water treaters. And if you don't know about the water you're treating and the stuff that you're using to treat that, you can't do that job very well. So I mentioned earlier my favorite test for phosphate and the one that I get the most repeatable results from is the ortho test. And what I do is I convert everything to the ortho form. So let's talk about what we know now and how I test for it on a regular basis. So if we have total inorganic phosphate, so we would have polyphosphate and orthophosphate. So what I would do is I would then test with the ortho test to figure out how much ortho was in that sample. And then I have to prepare a sample in order to revert that poly into the ortho form. And that's when I will test that again. And when I do that, I now have total inorganic phosphate because now it's using the ortho test to test for both ortho and the reverted poly. So I have to subtract the original amount of ortho to figure out what my poly is. Now we have products here in the Atlanta area that are for a more aggressive, less scale tendency water. So we use inorganic phosphates as one of our primary corrosion inhibitors. We get great results with that because that's what it's built for. But I know a lot of you out there are using organic phosphates. So let's talk a little bit about this. So organic phosphates have a bunch of different names. And when I listed out the different phosphates in the beginning, you're probably saying, hey, you left out a couple. No, I didn't. We just have multiple terms for the same thing in water treatment. And organic phosphate is probably the one that's the most confusing out there in the scaling up nation. So I said organic phosphate, and that's a term that I learned in chemistry and it just stuck with me. Now you might've heard organophosphate, which is basically the same thing I said, just a, a different way of saying that. You might also have heard it called phosphonate. That's also a way of saying that. And you might hear a combination of those two put together, which is organophosphonate. Now I had a chemistry instructor that absolutely hated that term and he's passed that along to me. Basically that's saying the same thing twice. So the only reason I mention it is so you know that there's a test out there and they call it organophosphonate and that's what that is. It's an organic phosphate test and my chemistry instructor just wouldn't like what they named it. And I'm sure most of you out there are probably using that type of test. And you're thinking, wait a second, Trace, I don't use that ortho test. I don't degrade, by the way, you revert the inorganic so the poly to the ortho, and you degrade the organic to the ortho. For a thousand points in the lead, if you're ever on useless trivia in Jeopardy, that'll work for you. So with the organophosphonate test, it just pains me to say that, 
you are using a different method than I talked about at the top of the show to figure out how much of that particular substance, the organic phosphate, is in the system. And then your company says it's either good in this range or it's bad in that range. Now, I'm willing to bet you have a love-hate relationship with this test. And one of the reasons that I'm willing to bet you don't like it is you can run that test four different times and you are going to get four different results. And I do this every time I run it and I can never get the exact same results. And I'm trying to make sure that my procedures and my techniques are the exact same each and every time that I do it. It's just a difficult test to get a repeatable reading on. And a lot of you have called in and you've asked me about this. So how do you know what your test should do? How do you know it's working or not? Well, folks, I can tell you what works, what doesn't work, but it's all my opinion. And what I urge you to do is form your opinion on your equipment and your test because they're your accounts and you have to talk to your customers and you have to be confident in your program. So the best way to do that is to go ahead and do some experiments and figure out what you need to figure out. Now, what I do here, whenever I try a new type of test, is I make up a mixture in the lab where I know exactly, if we're talking about phosphonate, I know exactly how much phosphonate, again, that's the same thing as organic phosphate, that's the same thing as organophosphate, and of course, the term organophosphonate. So I will put the exact amount in solution so I can calculate what the parts per million need to be, and now I test for it and I see if I can get that number on my test, and if I can, I like that test. Or if I'm wondering what, where my color changes should be, is this too dark, is this too light? Well, now I can zero in on what that needs to look like. Now, keep in mind, I'm doing this in my lab. And after years and years and years in the water treatment industry, I have created a lab with the most wonderful light you have ever seen. They are full spectrum bulbs. They are 6,700 Kelvin, which is supposed to be just like sunlight. And it is absolutely nothing like what you're used to in the mechanical room. So if you're doing a test like this, set yourself up for good results and make sure you've got good light, you've got clean glassware, your procedures are spot on and as precise as they can be, and now you can start trusting what your tests are telling you, and now you can do a little bit better interpretation. All right, so let's talk about another way, the original way that I was talking about testing for phosphonate or organic phosphate, What's the other terms? I'm forgetting them now. Now we have phosphonate, organic phosphonate, organophosphate, and organophosphonate, which you all know isn't really a real term, but we're going to say it because they have a test name for that. Now, I said that I prefer to convert everything back to the ortho form. So how we do that is either through heat or we use some sort of UV digestion. Then to go back through, uh, in order to convert the poly to the ortho form, you would use an acid and heat that up. In order to use the ortho test for the organic test, 
what you would have to do is in the high presence of oxygen, and normally that's per sulfate that we add into that, and then we heat that up or we put it under some sort of UV source so it can be digested. Again, it's gonna convert everything to the ortho form. And then if we took ortho before, we're able to subtract out the original ortho to figure out what our final results are. So that's what we're gonna do now with the organic phosphate test. So I've got two ways of doing it. Let's go ahead and pick on the one for UV digestion. And the reason I'm going to do that is because it's quicker. And folks, when I'm in the lab, I actually use the microwave to boil my samples. And it's real easy. I can set the timer. I've got it actually programmed so it doesn't overboil. I've got a special phosphate setting on my microwave. Thank you, GE, for allowing me to program stuff like that. By the way, that's an off-the-shelf use, but it works great for that. If you're ever boiling in the microwave, you always want to add boiling chips. I don't know if you've ever heard of superheating. A lot of times people will get hurt because they're trying to heat up a cup of water and say a coffee cup, and they look at it and it's not boiling, and they put a wooden spoon or something in there, and it just explodes. It is super hot and it has nothing to nucleate on. It has nothing to form those little bubbles to, to start to boil. And as soon as something goes in there, it just all comes out. So protect yourself, use boiling chips if you're using the microwave to supply your heat, but we're now talking about the UV pen. Now, Hawk is probably the standard, and I will have them on my show notes page where you can see the phosphate methods directly from Hawk. I'll link to that. They are the standard and they sell a kit that has a UV pen in it. Now it works great, it is repeatable, but you can only use it for one test. And normally when we're running tests, we have multiple systems that we're running tests for. So they then came up with a splitter. Well, the splitter works great to run two tests, but take it from me, you can't split the splitter without buying equipment over again. The transformer can't hold it. Not to say that I did that, but if I did do that, learn from my mistakes and, and don't do that. So you can only split it once, and that allows you to do two. Now, the transformer is bulky. It's a little difficult. You can put it in a backpack or something like that, but it is bulky. You've got to plug it in, all that stuff. The reason I mention all this is because several of you out there have asked about portable alternatives. And a lot of noise was created recently on some blogs and some listservs about a particular product called the SteriPen. The SteriPen was originally developed so backpackers, hikers could go out and they can sterilize their water source so they could drink it using this portable UV pen. Very few things are invented for the water treatment industry. So the water treatment industry has to go out in other industries and figure out what we can take from them to help us succeed easier, better, faster and the SteriPen was one of those items. Now, the items that were mentioned on the listserv or the blog was that the SteriPen did not work properly, it wasn't powerful enough, it had this issue, it had that issue. 
So I thought rather than just reading something, I'm going to take the advice that I just gave you. And I created a situation in my lab where I could test for exactly what was going on with the SteriPen. For those of you out there in the Scaling Up Nation that are not familiar with the recent posting in various blogs and listservs about the SteriPen, let me bring you up to speed. So again, the SteriPen is a pen that was built to sterilize water when you were out backpacking or hiking, and people in the water treatment community have found that that has application for this phosphate testing that we are talking about. In fact, I have been using the SteriPen for at least three years now, and I have gotten some pretty good results with it, but if you read some of the posts from other people, they had not gotten proper results with it. So if you've learned anything from listening to me on the show, you know I do not like anecdotal information. I enjoy hearing that you like something, but I need more information than that. I wanna know how you tested it, how you verified. So I think Ronald Reagan was credited with trust but verify. I trust that it's a good test, but I want to verify it. So here's what I did. I set up a known quantity of PBTC. For those of you that care, it's phosphonobutane tricarboxylic acid for huge words for $1,000, Alex, please. So PBTC, it is an organic phosphate, and I put a known quantity in uh, some deionized water. And then I tested the sample that I just made with different methods to see if I could get a repeatable result. And here's what I did. I ordered three of the SteriPens. And by the way, I'm using the new model Classic 3. And I ordered three pens so I could do three different things with them. Now, the issue in the chat rooms were that the light source was not powerful enough in order to allow that reaction to take place over the entire time that that pen was on. People said that if they used the wrong types of batteries, then it would actually lose its power through the on cycle. So the light would start out really bright and then it would dim down. So I decided to test that. And the reason I got three pins is this is what I did. The two types of batteries that were in dispute were alkaline batteries and lithium batteries. So I got a pin for each one of those batteries. And then that third pin, I wanted to take batteries totally out of the equation. And what I did, I took a six volt adapter and I allowed the pin to run off of six volts plugged into the wall. So that way batteries were totally eliminated from this pin. I then went ahead and set up three different tests. Actually, I set up four different tests. I mentioned that Hawk is the standard for testing. So I used that pin and that method exactly the way that Hawk says that you need to run that test. And I ran all of those tests and guess what? Within a very slight margin of error, I got the exact same results. So 
I wasn't satisfied with that. I wanted repeatability, so I did it again. So I actually did that about four times, and that proved to me that I did not have an issue with batteries. I did not have an issue with not being able to get a full digestion of all of the organic phosphate in there. So the pen that I had been using for years, I verified that it indeed was working properly. And folks, they're in our test kits. That's what we use. We use those for our phosphate testing, and we also use that for our azol testing. So I'm going to give you some more information on the SteriPen in a few moments, but I still wasn't satisfied. I wanted to make sure that if I started talking about this issue, and trust me, this issue got pretty heated on this listserv, I wanted to make sure that I was giving you some good information. So in addition to my tests, what I did is I reached out to some people that I knew were using the SteriPen and I asked them to come on Scaling Up to share their experiences with you. So let me share that with you now. Scaling Up Nation, I'm very excited to introduce my second time lab partner, Chris Golden of Taylor Technologies. How are you, Chris? Oh, I'm doing great, Trace. I'm here with you. How are you doing? I am doing wonderful, and uh, I got to tell you, I got a lot of positive feedback from you being on, and I want to thank you for coming back on so we can talk about phosphate testing. Very good. So the whole show is on phosphate, and you so graciously offered to come on the show. I want to talk about all the different tests that are out there. And I guess it doesn't matter if it's this company or that company, but one of the biggest issues we all have when we're running phosphate tests is repeatability. Have you found that to be true working with companies in your experience? Oh, absolutely. Uh, the repeatability was so key when I was out there doing water treatment. And I, I remember back when I was doing a steel mill, and I used to go around to the steel mill and, and do the industrial water. And we had 80 million gallons of effluent from a wastewater treatment plant going through the steel mill. And something they did at the waste treatment plant was take out the phosphate from the water. Well, that phosphate was acted as a natural corrosion inhibitor in the water. When they took it out, the water was very corrosive and they started having problems with iron deposition throughout the plant. So we fed a low level of phosphate. We fed uh, one part per million of phosphate and a half a part per million of zinc. And I tested that two times a week. And I was very careful in getting my, my samples, letting it flush long enough. And I test for iron and phosphate and zinc. And I really was careful with my technique so I got accurate readings because they're pretty low levels. And when I would go on vacation, I'd come back and the people I would do the service for would look at me and shake their head and said, you went on vacation. I said, well, yeah, I did. How'd you know? Well, <laughs> the phosphate and zinc and iron numbers are all over the place. And it was because the guy that took over for me just didn't practice really good technique. So repeatability is certainly way up there. You want to trust your results. You're, you're going to make adjustments to your programs based on those results. And you need to have a good trust in your test results. 
So you said the gentleman that replaced you on vacation, his test results were off because he didn't have good technique. So I am leading that to believe that technique is key when we're talking about repeatability. Oh, absolutely. You know, in the AWT meeting last year in Grand Rapids, I did a seminar on interferences. And if anybody was there, they know that the first interference I talked about was us and our techniques and how before we even start to do a method, we can affect the results of whether they're going to be accurate and repeatable. Well, let's just get right into it. One of the worst tests in my opinion, for repeatability is the organic phosphate test or the organophosphonate test, which is an incorrect term, but that's okay. We'll go ahead and say that because a lot of people say that. I know. But I know that you've done a lot of work with that test. Your R&D has done a lot of research and you've got some things to share with us regarding technique and the organic phosphate test. Yes. And this all started back a few years ago when we were developing our colorimeter what our chemists did in R&D, and we've got eight degreed chemists in our R&D that I am super, super proud of. Uh, these are some bright minds. And what they did was they took a look at standard practices for how to do the different tests. And they basically took it all the way down to the concrete and built it all the way back up to see how they could possibly improve some of the methods. And the organophosphate method was one of the ones that I don't know if I told you this story before, but when I was up in my office and we were developing the colorimeter and the methods, my phone would ring and I'd look at it and the ID would say it's R&D. And Trace, I always got excited because these guys had some great ideas. And when they found them and proved them, they called me up and say, you got to come down. You got to you got to see this. Well, one of those calls was on the organophosphate test when they found the stirrupen. And so I go down there and they show me and said, well, the neatest thing about this is we can cut down the digestion time from 10 minutes to three minutes. And I was like, wow. They said, would that be of value to your people in the field? I said, well, well heck yeah. Plus, you don't have to plug it in and you don't have to carry around a heavy transformer and you don't have to replace those UV lamps. So, um, yeah, I was excited. And they had proven to me the repeatability of using that SteriPen for the digestions. And again, I, I proved it to myself out in the field that you get repeatability. But the key is that, and some people that use the SteriPen don't know that you need to use the lithium hydride batteries. You can't just use the alkaline batteries. The lamp is actually with its configuration, and I, and I think you talked with the guy from SteriPen, but it's, it's designed that it gives off, I guess, more heat, more radiation to cook the sample more quickly. I know you and I know of Taylor through you. And is it safe to say that R&D and Taylor is relatively conservative? No. All right. They're super conservative. Super, super <laughs> conservative. And the last two years before our colorimeter came out, it was already built. It was ready to go. The methods just weren't there. They took two years on the method trace. And it, I was like grinding my teeth. Please give me my colorimeter, please. But they wanted to prove and, and really make sure all those methods were airtight. And they are. 
and they are. And if you'll notice, there are quite a few of the test procedures like iron that we cut down on the wait time for the reading, for the method. And they wanted to prove themselves that they could actually wait that long. So if they've put out a test, they've done it hundreds of times, not just a couple of times. They've done hundreds of times to prove it to themselves. So when we talk about repeatability, when the procedure came out from your R&D, they were able to use the organophosphate method, using the SteriPen, using what they recommended, and get those results within a, a very slight margin of error each and every time. Sure. And if you take a look at our test procedure, the instructions, uh, they did a really great job of writing this. Talk about how to do the procedure, what the method is, what the interferences are. Estimated the detection limit. So on this organophosphate test, the estimated detection limit is 0.2 ppm. So you get a 0.2 ppm as phosphate. And the precision is listed as using a single lot of reagent and a 1.5 ppm phosphate standard. An individual analyst obtained a standard deviation of plus or minus 0.1 ppm. So they state their results on each one of the instructions. That Those are the results that they got. Well, again, folks, you know, don't take our word for it. You can do your own test back in your own lab or in your own kitchen or wherever it is that you do your test. But Chris, I want to thank you for coming on, letting us know that Taylor has done extensive research with this method. And I think the bottom line is, is it doesn't matter which test you use, it matters how you use it. And you have to be accurate and you have to be repeatable. It's all about technique. It is all about technique. And the other thing is don't deviate from the method instructions because the pairing of that SteriPen is carefully done with, with our glassware, with the 9198. And it's important that, let's, let's say you're going to do it in a beaker. If you're going to do this in a, in a beaker, 150 milliliter beaker, and you put a sample in there and it was kind of low and flat and you put the SteriPen in there, it's quite a bit of difference of contact than when you put it in one of those 9198 sample cells, the 25 milliliter sample cells from Taylor. You're going to notice that there's more water surrounding the lamp than it is in a beaker. So that's another area of, I'll put it under technique, is read the instructions and use the glassware that's recommended. That's a great point because if it's not getting in contact with it, it's not repeatable as they did it in the lab. Chris, thanks so much for coming on and, and sharing some more insight on the organic phosphate test. Oh, you got it, Trace. Anything you need, let me know. Folks, you know I love to interview people that know more than I do. And folks, that is not hard to find. Well, that is this next guest, and he comes straight from SteriPen. So we are going to ask the questions we all want to know about this device from somebody who has helped develop it. Well, my next lab partner is Ainsworth Kohler, and he knows everything there is to know about the SteriPen. So instead of me telling you all the things I think I know about the SteriPen, we are bringing in the big guns. Ainsworth, how are you? Oh, quite well, Trice. I hope you're doing great. 
Absolutely. Really appreciate you coming on the show. The Scaling Up Nation is very confused about the SteriPin. So I know you can answer all the questions we have about the SteriPin, but I want to start off, if somebody's listening out there and they have never heard of or seen the SteriPin, what the heck is it? Sure. The SteriPin is a handheld water purifier that you can take with you anywhere in the world, and it purifies the water so you can uh, drink it and be confident that you won't get sick. So it was developed for an industry outside of the industry, of course, that we're talking about, which is uh, testing for phosphates and azoles and such like that. Correct. Um, the SteriPen is aimed towards microbiological organisms such as viruses, bacteria, and protozoans. It's not really for any uh, metals or chemicals or anything like that. Well, as you know, through our conversations, we water treaters have found a different use for it. We have several tests, and I just mentioned them, phosphates and azoles that require ultraviolet digestion. And the method that we have now requires this, I think it's about a 48-pound transformer that we have to lug upstairs with us and then plug into a wall and then get our digestion done off that. Well, several years ago, somebody told me uh, that the SteriPens would work for that, and I've been using those for years. Is there any reason from your development of this pen that you see that it would not work for that purpose? Uh, unfortunately, I'd have to stay at this time. I'd probably have to do a little more research to give you a better answer. We've only tested the SteriPen for microbiological organisms, but if I could get some lab research, I'd be able to help you better on that one. Fair enough. So the attorneys are in the room with you. I totally understand. Sure. <laughs> so uh, let, me, let me ask it this way. If, if we have a UV light A and it does a particular job and we have UV light B, is there any reason it can't do the same job? So long as they output the same amount of energy over a given amount of time or a comparable output and are in a similar wavelength, then I don't see why not. And what is the wavelength that comes out of the SteriPen? It is 254 nanometers, or UVC. You and I talking together and me learning more about the SteriPen and how I could better use it for this use, I thought I understood how the actual unit worked. I thought it took the four 1.5 AA batteries, uh, which is six volts, and it stepped it down to something like four and a half. And you said, well, it, it actually does something with stepping, but you're going the wrong direction. And do you mind sharing with the Scale It Up Nation what you taught me? Sure. So it does take six volts of battery voltage, but the steer pen lamp does require over a thousand volts to light up and 300 volts just to maintain the output needed to uh, safely purify your water. So what we have is some circuitry around the light bulb uh, called a ballast. And um, we also have sort of a boost converter which takes whatever the battery voltage is, whether that be a low battery, we'll pretend about four volts, or a fully charged battery that has six volts, and it converts that to a voltage that we know that the ballast circuitry needs to sufficiently power that multi-hundred volt lamp. The previous generations of SteriPens, that being the Classic or the Traveler, 
required a stronger battery such as the lithium chemistry battery in order to power the lamp. So Ainsworth, we've had our fair share of comments on the Association of Water Technologies listserv where people are saying they love these units, they work great, and others say they don't work. And the reoccurring reason that they say they don't work for this specific test is that the batteries don't last long enough and the lamp is not strong enough through the entire three-minute period or one-minute period. How long is the, the unit on for? I can't remember. For a full liter dose, it's 90 seconds. So during that 90 seconds, if the batteries are low, you're not going to get the full power of the lamp. What do you say to that? If the batteries are low but not discharged, you will get the full power output of the lamp. However, if the batteries have discharged to a point where their strength is completely gone, then you'll get nothing from the lamp. Um, in other words, there is no dimming from the lamp like you would observe from an incandescent uh, light bulb and a flashlight. It's either the full output or nothing at all. So there you go. So that right there, that statement definitively answers that what they were saying on the listserv is completely false. I would say it's people diagnosing the pen the best they can given the evidence they have on hand. The stair pen is a sort of an enclosed unit and it's hard to diagnose. So most people like to just go to the default uh, diagnosis of eats batteries or quote, does not work. The stair pen um, doesn't eat batteries. Uh, it'll work as advertised and if not, then your customers are welcome to call us up and discuss it with us. And you and I met through that very thing. And I got to tell you, you've got great customer service and you have told me a great wealth of information about the pen. So you guys really deliver what you promise. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yep. Um, yeah, we're, I mean, we're always there to help our customers. I mean, we do, of course, have a warranty policy, but um, for the most part, we're pretty loosey-goosey so long as the we've seen the customers uh, treat the stair pen with their spine. All right, so you're talking about either alkaline batteries or, or lithium batteries. So let's talk a little bit about that. So I know you've got a couple of different units. I want to say that the people in the Scaling Up Nation primarily that are using the stereo pins are use, either using the original classic or the third version of the classic. Sure. Those are our two most popular selling uh, models. So how do they work based on what type of batteries we put in there? Regardless of battery, it's going to take the energy of that battery, um, the electrical energy, and output it as um, photonic energy. But again, it depends on the chemistry of battery and how well they can uh, hold up to the stair pen. For example, in the classic alkaline batteries, even though they are AA batteries, even though they are 1.5 volts, the chemistry inside the batteries just don't make them a strong enough battery for a high power device such as the stair pen. They're more appropriate for devices like your kids' toys, like a remote control cars or you know game system. But the lithium battery, given its chemistry, can handle uh, higher power applications like the SteriPen. Now, what is the difference between the Classic and the Classic 3? The Classic 3 is, I'll put it abstractly, uh, you know how cars sort of have like new model years and they yeah. add new features, the engineers learn a little more, make the product better? Yeah, and then you have to go out and buy another car. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of the same with the stair pen. I mean, if you have a classic and it's working for you, it's going to keep you uh, safe. 
So the uh, Classic 3 is sort of like a new model year car, except for the SteraPen. In this case, it has a more efficient uh, circuit and improved code so that it can now accept alkaline batteries as well as lithium batteries. But unfortunately, with alkalines, you're only going to get a third of the doses you would get with lithium batteries. We changed the LED indicator scheme to three LEDs instead of that one LED coming out of the classics window so that we could accommodate for um, higher ambient light outside to make it easier to discern what's going on with the indicator and also to help with people who have difficulty discerning between red and green. So now customers can uh, look at the position of the LED on the Classic 3 to uh, understand what the status is versus doing your best with just a great blinking light on the Classic. I appreciate that after using it for years, I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, I'm glad. Oh, you you can't see a red or green that well? Uh, well, it's, it's just difficult, and it's, I've never had an issue. We have, uh, we probably have about a half a dozen of the classics in use, and I just bought three of the classic threes to do these experiments, and it was much easier to tell what it was trying to tell me. Oh, I'm so, so glad for that. We also changed the cap from its original conical shape in the classic in that this will just twist off rather than the classic where you have to grab the base of the stair pen and the lamp cover and pull them apart. Some customers were concerned that the amount of strength needed to pull those two pieces apart uh, could damage the lamp and just some people had difficulty pulling them apart in general. So we made that easier. And the last improvement with the Classic 3 over the Classic is we made it so you can actually start the pen inside the water rather than having to start it outside of the water. And that is a huge improvement based on how we use it. I love that. Yeah, one step less. What is the expected life out of the Classic and the Classic 3? This depends on battery. I'll start with a Classic. Now, the Classic can only accept lithium or nickel metal hydride batteries, nickel metal hydride being rechargeable batteries. And with a set of lithium, you can expect 100 liters of water. And depending on the brand and the model of rechargeable battery, you can expect about 80 liters. All right, since we are using this off-label, and the way it was developed, you hit the button and it's ready to go and make clean to sterilize one liter of water. We're not necessarily using one liter of water, we're using it for one test. So when we hit that button for one test and we're using lithium batteries, we should be able to expect to get 100 tests out of that. Am I, am I getting that correct? Yep, that sounds correct. All right. Continuing with the Classic 3, given the improved circuitry and the improved code, you can now use alkaline batteries, which will give you 50 liters of water. With lithiums, now you can get 150 liters of water. And depending on the brand and model of nickel metal hydride or rechargeable battery, you can get expect about 100 liters of purified water, or in your cases, 100 uses. Awesome. So next question is, should people be wearing UV eye protection when they're using these devices? Oh, no, that's uh, not necessary at all. The SteraPen has an important safety feature called the water sensor. Now, to dispel any misconception ahead of time, the water sensor does not detect the purity of water. It only detects the presence or lack of water, and that is it. 
And what the water sensor does is to ensure that the lamp is not illuminated outside of the safe confines of water. When the stair pin is in water and emits the UV photons, it'll bounce off the air-water interface of the volume of water and uh, stay in that volume of water, or it'll be absorbed or bounce off the walls of the container of the water. So in effect, um, a very, very, very negligible amount of UV light escapes, but nowhere near the amount that could cause any skin or eye damage. This has been very informative. I think for once you've put to bed what we've been talking about for years on this listserv. So I really want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up and educating the entire Scaling Up Nation. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to uh, keep everyone informed. Nation, if you don't take away anything else from today's show, I want it to be this. I want you to keep your ears open. I want you to read everything you can about what you do on a regular basis. And trust me, every water treater out there has an opinion about how you do it, what you use, you name it, they have an opinion about it. There's a metaphor for that, but I've got a clean lyric show and I'm not gonna go into that. I think you all know what it is. It's great to hear what those opinions are, but that's all they are to you. Your job, the way I see it, is to do exactly what I did. Take all that information, but now do something that allows you to believe in what you're doing. Now you have to be open because there's a possibility you could have been doing something for a very long time and now that you've tested it, you might find that it's wrong. And if you can't accept the fact that that particular item might not be done correctly and you need to change it, well, you're gonna have some issues with that. And if that is the case, maybe this isn't the industry for you. But if you are willing to take new ideas and new information and then test them so it makes sense to you, and now you've verified what somebody told you so you know it's right, you can talk to other people and tell them exactly what you did to prove that, you are not only going to be a better water treater, you are going to be a better advocate for this industry. So folks, just like what I did, I was curious that if this SteriPen that I was using was working properly, I've been using it for three years now, everybody on my team's been using it, but were we making a mistake based on all these opinions? Well, I didn't know, and I went ahead and I did the testing the way I described earlier, and I indeed, I verified that what we were doing was correct. Now, here's a couple of things that I've learned in my research. The original SteriPen works great, and that's what we were using for the longest time. But as Ainsworth explained to us, there are some improvements with the third generation, they call it the Classic 3, that make it a lot easier in the field. So we have actually switched to the SteriPen 3 version. One of the items that it does that makes it so much easier is you can cycle the pen, which means you can turn it back on after it's timed out without drying off the probe. So you don't have to take it out of the water and then stick it back in. 
That is a huge time saver. And it's also the point in time when you lift it out where you accidentally tip your sample over. So you're totally eliminating that. It also works better with alkaline batteries. Just as we learned on this show, it will work with alkaline batteries, but you're not gonna get as many tests. So next time you go to wherever you buy batteries, you're gonna see how expensive those lithium batteries are. But trust me, even though they are more expensive, they're going to work better in the device and they're going to work longer. And that's really what I mean by better. So you don't need to throw away a bunch of batteries. You can use as least as you can and get the most use out of them when you're doing that. And a final tip is make sure you bring extra batteries. Don't just bring a pin because when that sucker dies, you can't run any more tests. So always have at least one set of batteries with you. So if something does happen, you can still run your tests. We've had some issues with the units retaining moisture. So we keep them in a test kit. So you need to make sure that the units do stay dry because of course they're dipped down into water. So if you can dry those off and keep them into a, uh, a nice dry place. By the way, when that happened, uh, it just happened once. And what we did, we've got a little vacuum desiccant device here. And we just drew a vacuum, put it in the desiccant material, and it worked fine to the next day. So I don't think that's a big issue, but I just want to share what I learned during our experiments with the SteriPen. Scaling Up Nation, I want to make it as easy as possible for you to know what you need to get in order to make it easier for you to run your organic phosphate and azole testing in the field. So I have created a video of me unboxing everything that you need in order to run those tests. If you want to see that video, go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash pen video, one word, and you will see me unbox three products. Now, the three products that you are going to need are, of course, the SteriPen. The SteriPen is about $69, and you can get that from my Amazon affiliate link by going to scalinguph2o.com forward slash SteriPen. The other thing that you're going to need are some good, high-quality lithium batteries. I have an affiliate site for those. That is scalinguph2o.com forward slash batteries. That's going to give you eight Energizer lithium batteries. And the reason that eight is so good is because it gives you a spare set because I promise your batteries will run out when it is the most inconvenient time for that to happen. That's just how it works. The last thing you're gonna need is a vial for your sample to go into and for the SteriPen to be able to sit straight up and down in. And to get that, you're gonna to go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash vial, V-I-A-L. Those are the things that you need, and I have unboxed those on that video, which is pen video, and that's scalinguph2o.com forward slash pen video. I did one more video for you, and I showed you how I run the test, and the test that I'm running is the organic phosphate test. There's a video up there for that, so if you wanna see that, that is scalinguph2o.com pen test. One word, scalinguph2o.com pen test. 
Well, as I mentioned in the beginning of the show, we've got a lot of things coming up. As water treaters, we have the Association of Water Technologies Convention coming up in Orlando, September 26th through 29th. So Orlando, Florida is a great place to go. And, and folks, if you've never been to an Association of Water Technologies convention, you're missing out. There's a lot of information that's shared there. But if you ever plan to buy anything in the water treatment community, this is your one-stop shop to visit every single vendor that you would ever need to run a water treatment territory or business. And as a bonus, I'm going to be there. So come up to me. Make sure you come out and say, I'm a member of the Scaling Up Nation. I'm going to have scaling up buttons as I did last year. I got a lot of compliments on that. By all means, come up, ask me for a button. And to get the convention started off right, because I know there's a lot of new people that listen to this show and you might be coming to the convention for the first time, and that can be very intimidating. So here's what I want to do to help everybody out. We did this last year and the people that came had a fantastic time and they wrote me and told me that because they did what I'm getting ready to tell you, they had a better experience at the convention. They were able to go back with information and immediately put it into use. And several of them said their boss commented on how well they used that information and their boss was on the fence originally about should they send them to this function or not. But when they came back and they saw how diligent they were in putting all this stuff into play, they are absolutely going this year. So what am I talking about? Well, last year I did a meetup. I did it very early in the morning and I think some people were sleeping. So we're gonna do it a little bit later this time. So on Thursday morning at 10 a.m., immediately following the keynote speaker, we are going to meet up in the Chiller's Lounge right in the exhibit hall. Gonna be a really quick meeting. You guys can meet each other. I can meet you. You can get your scaling up pin, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk about what is the one thing that you want to get out of this convention? You get enough people talking about the one things, you're probably going to have more than one thing that you want to get out of the convention because of that conversation, but people will help you find it. They're going to talk to a certain vendor and they're going to say, hey, I remember George wanted to find out about that. They're going to go find George. They're going to bring them and introduce them to that vendor. So nobody is going to the AWT convention alone. We are all part of the Scaling Up Nation, and we're going to meet up to talk about that at 10 a.m. immediately after the keynote speaker. So if the keynote speaker runs 10 minutes late, it's going to be at 10.10. Just keep that in mind. But I will be there, and I hope to see you there as well. There are also a couple of other opportunities for you to see me. There are lots of people to see, but I want to meet you especially. So on Friday between 9 and 10.30, I'm going to be with my good friend Russell Baskin of Tower Water, and he is going to share his experiences with what happened with Legionella in New York. That's where Russ's business is. So imagine if your business changed overnight in the blink of an eye, because that's what happened to him. There were people that got sick and died, unfortunately, in the Bronx, and then the municipalities got together and they said, we are going to change the laws 
in regards to Legionella, and he had to totally redefine how he did business. He's going to be talking about that, and the message there is what can you do to get prepared for that so you don't have to suffer what he suffered through? Russ is graciously sharing his story so we can learn from it. And then on Saturday, between 8 a.m. and 9.30, I'm presenting with my friend Nathan Hardy, and we're going to be talking about filming amines. As you know, there's a lot of information out there about filming amines. And what I did, I did an experiment just like what I did for this SteriPen. We took a building system that was fine. And then we removed, and this was a closed loop system, by the way, we removed the treatment that was in there that we've got great data for at least five years on. And then we put the amine in the system. And that's what you're going to learn about what I found by doing that. So I hope you enjoy that presentation. As you know, I've got some evidence on what I found. And I also have some interesting techniques that I discovered as I was doing that. So I'm really looking forward to bringing that to you. Of course, you all know that I look forward to bringing scaling up to you each and every time that we get together. The only way that I know what to talk about, and folks, I would not have a show today. I spent an hour talking about phosphate. I would think that that would bore anybody, but I've gotten more questions on phosphate than any other topic. So that's why I did what I did. It's because of you, the listeners out there in the Scaling Up Nation. So please keep those things coming. And as always, if you know a water treater out there and they don't know about the Scaling Up podcast, please spread the word. Let them know all the great things that you're learning from Scaling Up. And folks, I can't wait to talk to you next time on Scaling Up. Scaling Up.